I'm standing over here today because whenever I get close to the pulpit, uh, my microphone starts to go a little bit crazy, and so I don't want it to blast you all out of here this morning. So that's why I'm not, uh, why I'm not there today. We're in John chapter 6 this morning. John chapter 6 is what's sometimes called the bread of life discourse, and that's because Jesus, for a very, very long time, goes on about how he is uh, the bread of life. He does this for 71 verses in John chapter 6. It's one of the longest chapters in the New Testament, and he has a lot of important things to say about himself, and he says them over and over and over again. Last week, if you were in church, you heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000. If you weren't in church last week, don't worry, I wasn't here either. Uh, Then I'll remind you really briefly what that story uh, is all about, what happens in that story. It's right at the beginning of John chapter 6. We're told that Jesus is with his disciples. They go up a mountain and they see crowds of people gathering around. The Passover is near and the people are hungry, we are told. Jesus turns to Philip and says to Philip, what are you going to do? How are you going to feed all of these hungry people? Philip doesn't really have an answer, and so a few minutes later, along walks Andrew, always trust in Andrew, and Andrew says, there's a boy over here who has five, five barley loaves and two fish. Maybe he, could, he can do some good. And so Jesus takes those five loaves, he takes the two fish, he blesses them, he breaks them, he distributes them to all of the people. We're told that everyone gathered there somehow has enough food to fill their hungry stomachs. And then even after they're done eating, there are 12 baskets of food, 12 baskets of of fragments from their feast left over. And so they collect all of those Uh, fragments. That's what's happening right at the beginning of John chapter 6, and it's important because that then tells us what's happening in the rest of John chapter 6. And we're going to get to that in just a moment, but before we do, I want to say just a few things about what's unique about John's gospel account. We're here in St. John's Church, and so I think it's really wonderful, a really wonderful opportunity to talk about some of the the things that makes John unique, that sets it apart from the other three gospel accounts. John is not one of the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels. They give a a synopsis of Jesus' life and teaching and ministry. John, though, is a little bit different. He tells the stories in a, a bit of a different way, and it's really important to pay attention to what John has to say. We've got about five weeks this summer to hear some of what John says before we move back to Mark's gospel account. So a couple of ways that John, that John is unique, and there are many others, but these two I think will help us a little later in our sermon today. The first way that John is unique is that he seems to have a much higher Christology when he's talking about Jesus. Christology is that, that branch of, of theology that relates to uh, the study of the Messiah or the Christ, the, the divine nature, as it were, of Jesus. And most scholars, when they read John's gospel, they see a, a much higher Christology than is uh, present in the other three gospels. That's not saying the other three gospels don't claim that Jesus is the Christ. They certainly do, but John seems to do it in a, in a much more intentional way. An example, think about the very beginning of John's gospel account, John chapter 1, that opening verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right right at the beginning, right out of the gate, John is telling us this, 
This Jesus is, is special. In the beginning, before there even was a beginning, Christ was present. Christ is God. That high Christology is present all throughout John's Gospel account, and that's really important. Another way that you see this high Christology is with the so-called I am statements. And there are seven of them in John's Gospel account. We're hearing the very first one of them uh, today. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, And when Jesus would have said that to his followers, those followers, many of whom were good Jewish people, their minds would have really quickly gone back to a passage of Scripture from, from, the old, from what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And it would have gone back to that passage, that wonderful passage in Exodus chapter 3. Do you all remember that passage? Moses is having an encounter with God in the form of a burning bush. There's a wonderful Disney movie made about it about 20 years ago. Uh, it's a really fantastic story. And when, when Moses is talking to God, uh, God is trying to send him to the Israelites. And Moses said, what, what name am I to give them whenever they ask me who sent me? What, what should I call you? And God replies to Moses, tell them, I am who I am. And then he goes on to say, tell them that the I am sent you. And so those first followers, when they would have heard Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, and then later on, I am the gate, and I am the good shepherd, other I am statements, they would have immediately thought back to that story in Exodus chapter 3. They would have realized that Jesus was trying to make a, a larger point. So John, we see that high Christology that's present in John's gospel account. The other unique thing that I want to just mention today is that John tells some of the same stories that the other three gospel accounts do uh, tell, but he also tells a whole lot of different stories. There are about 11 stories that appear in all four gospel accounts. And when John tells those stories that appear in some of the other gospels, it's almost identical when he is sharing those stories. But sometimes he'll change one little detail or he'll he'll add one little significant point in some way. Let's take the feeding of the 5,000, for instance. He tells it almost exactly the same as the other three gospel writers. It appears in all four gospel accounts. But when he tells it, uh, he says that it's not just about Jesus performing this miracle to, to fill hungry stomachs. Jesus is doing this because it is a sign. It is one of... One of seven signs. You guessed it. There are seven signs in John's Gospel account. And this is the fourth of the seven signs. And this is a sign that's pointing us to something else. So what's it pointing us to? Well, it's pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But it's also pointing us to this deeper truth, this deeper truth that appears in this feeding story, that Jesus comes not just to fill hungry stomachs, hungry bellies, but Jesus comes to fill hungry hearts and minds and souls. Jesus comes to fill every part of our lives. That's the sign that, G- that Jesus seems to be pointing to in this story. So back to our gospel reading for today. We have the feeding of the 5,000. We're told that some of them, it's the next day, some of those who were fed hang around a little bit and they come to Jesus and they start to ask for more food. They come to Jesus because, well, they've, they've missed the sign. 
Signs are confusing at times. Signs can be missed pretty easily. Think about all the signs we have in our great city here in Washington, D.C. When Catherine, my wife, and I moved here four years ago, when we first started trying to figure out how to drive in this city, we would miss a whole lot of signs, and then I in the passenger seat of the car would start to get very frustrated as we missed the turn to the Kennedy Center or some other building like that. Signs, signs can be easy to miss. Uh, signs can be interpreted in lots of different ways. Is that a six? Is that an eight? What's on that sign over there? And so these folks who come to Jesus today, they seem to have missed the sign. They think that he's sort of there with a never-ending supply of groceries, but he's saying to them, I've got, I've got something more that I'm, that I'm trying to offer you today. He says, you didn't come because you saw the sign. You came because uh, you had your fill of the food. I think these folks who are coming to Jesus are sort of living out what uh, I sort of like to call the, the John Rockefeller principle. You all know John Rockefeller, of course. John Rockefeller, one of the richest people ever to live, was once asked, uh, how much money is enough money? Uh, do you all know what he said? Just a little bit more. How much money is enough money? Just a little bit more, he said. And I think these folks are, are living out that principle. They're, they're coming, they want just a little bit more. Just a little bit more bread, just a little bit more fish, just a little bit more, and we will be satisfied. And we do the same thing, too, in our lives. Think about it. Just a little bit more blank, fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life. Just a little bit more money, just a little bit more power, just a little bit more stuff, and we will be secure in some way. Jesus seems to say to us today, when we work for the food, the bread that perishes, then the goal is always just, just a little bit more. But when we work for the food, for the bread that is eternal, then there's always enough to go around. That's what Jesus says to us today in the gospel account. So they miss the first sign, and Jesus says to them, that's that's okay. You're not the first ones to miss the signs. They start talking about this story from Exodus chapter 16, the story that we heard Betsy read a few minutes ago. And they say, well, Moses gave us the manna from heaven. What, what sign are you going to give to us? And Jesus said, well, they, they missed that sign too. It wasn't Moses giving them the bread. It was God giving them the bread from heaven. And here's the thing, Jesus says, I am giving you the true bread. They seem to miss all of Jesus' sign, signs, even when he sort of takes the sign and, and points it right at them and says, I am the bread of life. Signs are easy to miss, and so they miss it, and maybe, maybe we do too at various points in our lives. The good thing for us, at least right now, is for the next three Sundays, we're going to be hearing Jesus say over and over again, I am the bread of life. So just come to church the next three weeks, and maybe you'll, you'll see the sign, you'll pick up on it. You have lots of opportunities here this fall at St. John's Church to catch the sign. So what are we to take away from this? this story from John chapter 6 today. A lot of things, but I'll offer you two really briefly, two things to think about. The first thing is, when we hear Jesus offer this sign, when we hear Jesus say to us, I am the bread of life, those of us who are in a, a sacramental tradition like ours, our minds immediately go to uh, the altar, to the Eucharistic table, and that makes a whole lot of sense. Because we believe, we say that when we gather around God's table, when we receive the bread of life, we are formed and transformed by the Holy Eucharist. And that's really important for us to say that, for us to share that 
for us to believe that. There is power in coming to God's table and receiving the bread and the wine. It does something to us. It's mysterious to be sure, but it's something happening deep inside of us when we receive communion at this altar or at any other altar. St. Augustine once said about the Eucharist that each time we, we gather around the altar, we behold what we are and we become what we receive. We behold what we are and we become what we, re- what we receive. That's what's happening when we gather around this table. And that's, that's the first important thing that I think we can take away today. The other important point that I offer to you today is that as wonderful is, as that is being formed and transformed by communion, something else also happens to us when we receive the bread of life. And that is that we are drawn closer not only to God, but to each other. We are drawn closer to each of our sisters and brothers who worship with us, with us, each of the people gathered in this place and in lots of other houses of worship. The bread of life draws us and knits us together. That's what St. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, that we are knit together as the body of Christ. And that's a really wonderful thing to behold. Anyone who was here this past Wednesday for our dear friend Heather Wilson's service will have seen that so many folks came out to pay respects to celebrate the life of Heather, someone who had great faith, great love, and we were here in this place, and folks who couldn't be here were giving thanks to God that he had knit us to her during her life. Receiving the bread of life is this wonderful opportunity to walk with each other in the ups and in the downs of life. It's this opportunity to be knit to those who are next to us and to those who are across the world. We are knit together as members of the body of Christ. One bishop in the Episcopal Church wrote recently that whenever he's at a church and whenever he's passing out the bread and the wine as folks are coming up to receive communion, he likes to imagine that he is sort of... uh, threading a needle through all of the people who are receiving communion, connecting them and drawing them closer to each other and to God. That's, that's what's happening when we receive the very bread of life. There was a, a poll, and I'll, I'll finish with this, there was a, a poll that was taken a number of years ago, and it was asking a really simple question. Maybe some of you all have, have heard about it. The, the question was, Um, What phrase do you most long to hear? That was the the survey question that was sent out. It was a national poll. Uh, And I'll give you all a second to think about it. What phrase do you most long to hear? Number one, and this probably isn't very surprising, number one uh, was I love you. Anyone who has said I love you to another person or has heard someone say I love you to you, you know how powerful that phrase is. I love you was number one. Number two was really close, number two. Number two, equally as powerful, was I forgive you. Uh, If you've ever said to someone I forgive you or have had someone say to you uh, that they forgive you, you know how powerful that phrase can be in your life. I forgive you. I love you. I forgive you. Those are the top two. Number three, though, that was the really interesting one. Can anyone guess Guess what it was? Number three was dinner is ready. (laughs) Dinner is ready. 
<laughs> That's sort of what we're saying here today, isn't it? Dinner is ready. That's what Jesus is speaking to each one of us. He's saying the meal is ready. Jesus is saying, I love you. Jesus is saying, I forgive you. Jesus is connecting us together as the body of Christ. Become what you see, become what you behold what you see, and become what you receive. That's what St. Augustine said. May it be so as we gather around God's table today and each day of our lives. Amen.